0: Enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Shlomi Ron. I'm the CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute, and we're based here in sunny Miami, Florida. And a little bit about what we do we are all about bringing the gospel of visual storytelling from the great world of art into marketing. And we do this through training, consulting, and thought leadership, like this podcast we're in right now. So today, I want to talk about a subject that's probably has been a top of mind for many people, you know, especially going through the pandemic in the past year plus that it, uh, it's been tough on everybody. Businesses moved online and virtual everything, you know, from online classes to business, remote working, the latest uh, you know, stat talk about from the future of jobs that uh, 50% of employers will accelerate the automation of their work and 80% are actually planning to do that. So the topic for today is really all about virtual sales storytelling. It's really something that uh, I'm sure many of you are facing every day, especially when you're trying to prospect new clients uh, or even when you are actually in a high profile meeting. So for this uh, exact purpose, I have uh, the pleasure to uh, invite a special guest, John Ledesay. He's really the, a virtual sales keynote speaker and consultant at Better Selling Through Storytelling. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Thanks for having me, Shalomi. I love this topic, and so do you, so it'll be fun.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sure. <laughs> this is something that uh, every marketer is another sales guy in disguise. That's how I see it. So we're all selling all the time. It doesn't matter if you're just driving leads or if you actually uh, you know, need to have someone sign the online. line. Yes. So maybe before we get started, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your journey, your backstory, how you got into uh, virtual uh, sales storytelling.
1: I majored in advertising because I was completely fascinated by what persuaded people to take action. And I found advertising was really the mix of entertainment and business. Jingles and headlines and things like that that would pull people in like a good story does. Yeah, and um, I ended up selling multi-million-dollar mainframe computers in Silicon Valley and oh, having wow. having to compete against IBM back in the day when they would use FUD—Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. If you bought anything <laughs> that wasn't IBM and it broke, we'd point the finger at the other vendor and that person would get fired. So I realized from my advertising training that there's a lot of psychological issues going on Mm -hmm. um, uh, beyond just, oh, my equipment's faster and less expensive and maybe even more reliable and they still wouldn't buy that there was something going on there. So that was really my first insights into people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic, um, uh, even if it's a tech product. And then from there, I um, completely shifted gears and um, moved to Southern California and was working for an ad agency and my job was to sell the agency's creative skills to turn um, movies that were coming out on home video back in the day when Blockbuster was around. Oh. Oh. And we, I really was able to, I would call on Disney and Warner Home Video and all these other studios to say, you know, let us create these commercials because back then they would run commercials to get people to go rent and eventually buy the videos. Um <laughs> But it was a great storytelling training because we could reposition the movie that hadn't done well theatrically. I see. And have the editors cut it completely differently and get people to want to go rent or buy it. Got it. And um, you know, I learned a lot about um, video uh, graphics. There's something called Paintbox back in the day. You know, oh, yeah, I remember the that set box. You know, fly in and yep. the logo would have a little you know sheen to it with the name of the movie. Yeah. And then the voiceover artists would come. So it wasn't just editing the movie. There was a lot of production involved in those 30-second commercials. Mm -hmm. And um, then I transferred and started selling advertising uh, for Condé Nast, which is Q and Wired and Vanity Fair and Arc Digest and W. There was about 23 different brands when I was there. Um, And we would call on big companies like Nike and... Lexus um, yep. to convince them to advertise in, in the magazine. And um, there was something called Media Day
0: Oh yeah,
1: where Lexus would say, you know, we looked at 50 magazines. We've narrowed it down to 10. We're going to have a Media Day and each rep gets to come in for 30 minutes back to back and present. Do not talk about numbers. We've already analyzed that. That's why you're in the final 10. We're only going to pick three. Yeah,
0: it's like the upfronts, right? Something... Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And... Um, that was for every launch of a right. model. You know, why, mm-hmm. and you have to come up with a marketing idea, and an ability to tell a story about why that particular editor's vision was attracting the kind of psychographics
0: of right. um, a
1: person that would appeal to that particular car. So it really was whoever told the best story got the sale.
0: Yeah, And yep. that's
1: really where I was in that job for 15 years, honing oh, wow. my storytelling <laughs> skills at it. And, um, you know, it wasn't all linear. Um, In 2008, I got laid off when the mortgage crisis hit and luxury Mm -hmm. advertising plummeted. And I had to reinvent myself and learn how to sell digital ads for the Mm -hmm. Daily Beast. And ironically, two years after that, I got rehired back by Condé Nast um, because they wanted someone who could sell print and digital. Um, And I ended up winning salesperson of the year for the entire company of 400 salespeople. Oh, wow. And I thought... Part of it was, you know, I decided not to come back with any fear. Mm. Because I'd always lived in fear of not making my quota or um, the magazine going out of business. And I'm like, you know, I already had the worst possible thing of being laid off, and I figured out how to reinvent myself. So um, uh, that became the launch of my speaking career and consulting. Like the Glenclerry, Glen Rose. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) coffees for closers. Um, Yeah. It really was, you know... Getting people off this emotional roller coaster mm. where we only feel good about ourselves if our numbers are up and bad that's if it's right. down. You know, I'm like, I'm the same person winning this award that I was two years ago that got laid off.
0: Exactly.
1: And so um I'm that's why I'm so passionate about helping people become storytellers because when that happens, they're no longer feeling so pushy and burnt out, but instead become stories allow us to and certainly the visuals to pull in, yeah. the story. Yeah, that's fascinating.
0: And I, I'm so you know hearing what you say when you talk about uh, not really uh, getting distracted by the prospect of failing and failure and i think uh, the way you kind of framed it in your mind is basically telling the same story all you did is really changing the ending to be optimistic and, and that's the beauty of hope you know that that's my definition for hope you know it's nice. the same story you're just changing the resolution so <laughs>
1: I tell people think of this, yourself as the movie director of your own life.
0: Yeah, and you can yell yeah.
1: cut at any moment if you don't like the exactly. movie you're playing. You know, so many yep. of us are playing horror movies out in our head of the future.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you just yell cut and
0: come up with yep. a different
1: story to tell yourself.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, so just to kind of uh, you know level set a little bit for people that uh, kind of new to uh, you know the concept of virtual sales storytelling. Can you tell us? You know what does meaning really mean in your mind?
1: Yes. Well, um, when the pandemic hit, um, all the live events that I was going to got canceled, and I mm-hmm. had to figure out how can I keep an audience of two or three hundred or more people engaged on a virtual call, right? And actually teach those people how to tell stories virtually. Mm-hmm. And for some of them, it started off with how do I look and sound good on camera? Oh, yeah. You know, that alone made a lot of people awkward. Um, and how do you read the Zoom versus reading the room?
0: <laughs> There's also Zoom fatigue, you know, all the time. That...
1: Yes, and part yep. of the reason for Zoom fatigue is um, people are being read. They're just slides that are boring, and people are reading to them like we're children. And right. that's the case of death in person, and it's even worse on Zoom. So yeah, um, what I've done to keep my virtual speaking unique and engaging is I've, I've come up with um, the ability to use some special effects Mm-hmm. that allow people to go oh they lean in and you know fatigue of any kind a movie that's boring a book that's boring it's because it's not right. well done or it's not new our brain as you know craves something new so when i talk yeah. about you know when you're presenting and the stakes are high we all get butterflies in our stomach and the goal is not to get rid of those <laughs> butterflies in your stomach, but to get some butterflies in your stomach to fly in formation like they are on my screen right now. Yeah. The nervous energy out of your stomach and into the room. Well, for those of you <laughs> who aren't able to see, I have a little special effect of, of butterflies flying across my screen. And people go, what is, how did that happen? That looks like, like Pixar. And yeah. so that prevents any, now people are leaning in, waiting for the next. But the special effect, as we were talking about before the show, must be. Complement the content.
0: Yeah, it
1: can't overshadow it.
0: It's an accessory
1: in essence an accessory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah and So mm-hmm. now I have new ways of you know, I tell a story Of when I was a lifeguard Back mm-hmm. in the suburbs of Chicago and I was saw this little girl on the edge of the high dive and She was looking down with a lot of fear and I'm like oh boy It's probably her first time and sure enough <laughs> She went underwater, but she was underwater two seconds too long
0: oh, I
1: see. And I realized I had to go jump in and save her. I couldn't even throw her a buoy because she was so panicked and flailing. And so I swam out and, you know, pulled her to the side and and rescued her. Now, again, for those of you who couldn't see, I was able to show my face underwater. And that pulls you into the story and you feel like you're in it with me because it's an immersive experience. So that's a couple of examples of the power of uh, visual effects that can make your story come alive.
0: No, for sure. Love it. And, and do you find yourself also using these accessories in interactive fashion? So not only are yes. you telling a story, but you're actually engaging the audience to do something. Exact. For example,
1: um, one of the things I do in a workshop, in a breakout room, is I'll show this image of it raining on a dark and stormy night. And uh-huh. I'll say, um, you're in a two-seater sports car, and you pull up to a bus shop, and you see your soulmate, who you've never met before, and you may never meet again, you also see um, your best friend who saved your life last year. And finally, there's an old lady who's clearly dying and needs your help. Mm-hmm. Who do you save? The old lady, your best friend, or the soulmate? And then I have them go into a breakout room and vote on who they're gonna save. Oh, and, it, and when they come back, we discuss it, and then I say, you know, the other option might be, what if you got out of the car and handed the keys to your best friend and had him drive the old lady to the hospital, and you stand in the rain with your soulmate, and say, "Aren't we going to have a wonderful story of how we met?" Yeah, <laughs> it's called lateral thinking.
0: Right. And so many right. times
1: we keep ourselves in these boxes. The story we, you know, we're like, I have to be the one to get somebody in the car with me. Yeah. So it's a very visual way to pull that experience to life in a workshop.
0: Got it. So so that kind of begs the question, you know, obviously, and it's also a question I ask all my guests, uh, you know, how do you define visual storytelling, which is uh, the larger umbrella? <laughs>
1: Anything that grabs your attention. Uh-huh. So one of the things I do is I say to people, do you feel like an ostrich right now? You just want to bury your head? Or do you feel like a peacock? <laughs> and you make yourself big. Boom. Yeah, That's visual storytelling. Well, my whole point is that we're the thinker thinking the thoughts, and at mm-hmm. any moment, we can say, I feel like an ostrich, or I feel like a peacock, but we can change it, even if we start off with like an ostrich. Those visuals help lock that in.
0: Yeah.
1: And people have told me years after my talks, oh, God, I, I thought of myself as, I still think of myself as a peacock when I wake up in the morning. And I realize I'm, a, so
0: that sticks. It's a memorable thing to use uh, yes. visuals. And, and then when you add a story, there's actually a plot you can actually follow. So right. you see yourself in the story. So absolutely, no, I really love it. You know, these examples uh, really make sense. Uh, so, so when you know, some of the folks say uh, of my audience are marketers, entrepreneurs, and obviously they run uh, online calls with counterparts, maybe prospects. Mm-hmm. So, can, can you talk a little bit about uh, what are the steps uh, that you go through for creating a successful a uh, virtual sales storytelling experience? Let's say you are a, a pitching prospects and, and you want or you are a marketing guy trying to deliver a powerful a presentation for your leadership.
1: I think, first of all, you have to reverse engineer the whole concept. Mm-hmm. I did this when I gave my TEDx talk, be the lifeguard of your own life. Yeah. What do I want the audience to feel? What do mm-hmm. I want them to think? And what do I want them to do? Got it. And that becomes the end of my talk. And then what visuals do I want to show to touch on all those points?
0: So you actually start from the end, basically, and then just fill it up with details and visuals.
1: Exactly. This visual will make them feel this way. This visual will make them do something because they'll be showing someone else taking the action I want them to do.
0: And what would you say, you know, to corporate guys that uh, pretty much uh, live on the the bullets and stats, you know? (laughs) Well, um,
1: I would say when you go buy a sports car, no one's talking about miles per gallon. Mm -hmm. They're talking about how fun it's going to be to drive or how sexy you're going to feel in it.
0: The experience of using it. Yes.
1: And um, if you're leading with stats it's going to just be forgotten as soon as the slide changes. Right. If you're, if you're telling a story that people can remember and
0: repeat, mm-hmm. that's
1: really when the magic happens because a lot of marketers want things to go viral.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the best way to do that is not with numbers, it's with stories and visuals that people can't yeah. wait to show.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you have any particular uh, story types that you use uh, in general? Obviously, you you already mentioned personal stories as a lifeguard. But do you have uh, categories of stories that you keep end up using?
1: I do. Um, I teach people that there's basically four genres of storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we go into the genres and movies. You'll never look at a movie the same way. Yep. Um, and then brands that are using those genres to enhance that. So um, one example is a rebirth genre. And the movie is, uh, I love doing that does this is the, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart at Christmas time.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. Like, oh, I, I got a second chance at life here. And Prudential um, says, you know, your retirement is not just an extension of middle age. It's your third act. It's a rebirth. Yeah. So, you know, oh. So sometimes companies go, oh, it's time for us to rebirth. I, when I was speaking at the Coca-Cola CMO Summit, I was talking to the marketing person at Domino's Pizza. He said, Mm well, my team created the app that tracks when your pizza goes in the oven, who's making it, who's delivering it. And um, I said, well, what a great story. You know, talk about being involved in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, I go, what's your biggest marketing challenge? And he said, well, it's um, getting technical people to come work here.
0: Right. (laughs) And
1: I said, oh. And he goes, we used to say that um, we're a pizza company that uses technology, do you want to work here? And that really wasn't doing it. Now we say... We're um, uh, we're an e-commerce company that happens to sell pizza.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Like it sounds like Amazon, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Just the same talent. Yes.
1: Yep. So it's a rebirth of how the brand is being used, and I think people forget sometimes that marketing has is in charge of not just outward messages, but the messages that attract talent to
0: work at the company. Yeah, for sure. I know Apple is doing this uh, tremendously. If you look at their Apple page on LinkedIn, you know, the videos they put there just to kind of communicate uh, their unique culture.
1: Right. So, and you would yeah. think, why do they need to do that? Doesn't yep. everybody want to work there? Are they, But why does Coca-Cola still advertise, right? right? There's a need to define who you are, what you stand for, yeah, um, yeah. and keep that message going.
0: Is there any uh, rule of thumb in terms of uh, those category of stories that, uh, you know, are not ending uh, on high note <laughs> that you use with the moral that might be useful, or you typically, you know, finish with a happy ending? Oh, <clears throat> um,
1: well, let me think a second here. Um, well, certainly a rags-to-riches genre right. uh, is always a happy ending. Yeah. Um, 99% of genres that talk about having the courage to go on an adventure and leave home like mm. Wizard of Oz or the quest yeah mm-hmm. and yeah, the quest is those usually turn out there's some challenges yeah the it's really not interesting unless the stakes are high exactly but at the end it usually works out
0: so Got it. cool awesome so you've been doing this for a while now so i bet you know it, like any other entrepreneur you run across some challenges and some downsides along the way, you know, that's part of the hero's yes. journey, right? <laughs> it is. So can you talk about, you know, maybe some of the, the challenges uh, that, uh, especially people that are uh, looking to start uh, their own virtual sales storytelling program, uh, what they would need to watch for?
1: I would say the biggest mistake that I made and I see other people making is before you decide who you're going to help and what problem you're going to solve is to make sure they can afford to pay for the solution Mm -hmm. because, you know, originally I was helping a lot of startup funders founders with their pitch to get their startup funded and they desperately need it. They're really bad usually at pitching to get funding and without the funding, the company doesn't succeed. Mm -hmm. So the stakes are high and they know they need it and they don't even have money to pay me to get the training and the funding. Yeah, yeah. So that's a painful lesson to learn.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh, I've I've got to figure out an audience that needs what I have and it has the money to buy it. For sure, for sure. So now I'm talking more to coaches, consultants, professional services company, people, lawyers, accountants, and all of these uh, people have a problem of they're drowning in a sea of sameness.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: I say, I am your pitch whisperer. I'll be your Sherpa. And that storytelling yeah. is your life preserver. And these people are already generating income. They're usually selling programs of five or $10,000. So to work with me, all I have to do is get one or two clients and they more than pay for the investment to work with me. And they see that. And so that's... Almost, I tell people it's like at Disneyland, you have to be this tall to ride the ride. Right. So, that would be my advice for the entrepreneurs that are listening. Make sure you've got a criteria of who you're working for and who it's not for defined.
0: Yeah, that's so important. And nothing comes to mind, you know, as I was listening to you describe this. You know, let's say I'm a, a marketer, either on a startup or in a marketing team in a corporate environment, and I'm about to you know, create a webinar, which is a virtual sales environment. So uh, what is the number one mistake that I need to watch for?
1: The number one mistake to watch for when you're creating a webinar is don't read from the slides. I hate yeah. to say it. It's so basic. Yeah. 90% of people do it. And there's yeah. just a bunch of words on the slide. And they're, you know, every click is another bullet point And they just read it to you. And, right. and it's so dull and not yep. compelling. And if you remember, you're selling emotional yep. connection and reading. People don't buy information. They buy transformation. Yep. And they need to go on a journey with you. And so that's the biggest thing you need to do is is you realize that you're not just presenting information or teaching something. You're an entertainer. For example, I tell people, you know what? We all get stressed out. Right, Everyone gets stressed out, yes. But if you rearrange your thoughts, like I'm going to rearrange the letters and mm-hmm. spell stressed to, to spell it backwards, or it turns it into desserts.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right? So stress spelled backwards is desserts. So you can change yep. your thoughts into something negative, into something positive. Well, there's lots of ways to communicate that message. And without the little visual magic trick I just did, or getting people to think of it in those terms, if I just simply said, your thinking causes you to be stressed out, change wow. your thoughts. Yes. Yeah. oh, think about the word stress. Now, spell it from front to back. Look what you have something... Pla- that's much more engaging, especially with a visual.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. But I totally can see that, you know, especially when you mentioned earlier about uh, TED Talk, you know, where it's very high profile. So typically, you know, the slides are really 100% visuals and yes. the heavy load is really on the verbal delivery yes. to bring it to, to context. But... What do you do in a webinar context when you need to actually deliver a specific information that, you know, sometimes you can't just show a nice uh, visual and have it to carry the entire information because you need the details?
1: I think you can, there's lots of ways you can um, still make it engaging. For example, if you're going to talk about a product that helps you save time, mm-hmm. well, boom, there's a a stopwatch that I just popped up. Right. Suddenly, I'm giving you the specifics of exactly how much time is saved by using this, but I'm making it a little bit entertaining, a little bit unexpected. Mm-hmm. So just because you're presenting information doesn't mean it has to be devoid of any entertainment.
0: Right. Yeah, of course. I think, you know, it, I guess it's a, it's an interesting balance that to, anybody, there's a rule of thumb here. I'm kind of hearing you saying that always the context is so really important but uh, the bigger the bigger message here is really finding a uh, that visual component you can bring to the conversation and, and make it fun and kind of break uh, the ice in a way and yes. to keep also the engagement up because again we are still <laughs> staring at a <the> screen <laughs> and right. you' gotta do something to kind of keep the attention up so uh, that's another uh, important and i would add to what you're saying, you know, many people are uh, really complaining in webinars that uh, they feel like they are passive listeners, and you got to really get them to do something, interact with them, yeah. have, give them assignments, drills, like you said in in, in the breakout rooms.
1: Yeah, or oh, like even the ostrich, um, peacock example I gave. Mm-hmm. I just asked people to type in the letter O or the letter P. Yeah, not spell out the whole word, <clears throat> and exactly. that they go oh. I can type in a letter, and then once they start engaging a little bit, then you ask them to start typing in a little more words.
0: I see. Another question that I'm sure is uh, on my audience minds is obviously, uh, especially when we talk about the sales context. So when you're running a, a virtual uh, session with a prospect, uh, mm-hmm. beyond the sale as a metric, are, are there any success metrics that you track to see if you are making an impact?
1: Yes, that's what I was sort of joking about, reading the Zoom instead of reading the room. Oh yeah. Yeah, I really encourage people to have their cameras on and make eye contact Mm -hmm. and make sure that you're lit properly because people don't trust you if they can't see your eyes. Right. And the space between your eyebrows. Yeah. Um, So I would also say that um, make sure you're not talking too much. Listening Mm -hmm. is even more important Mm -hmm. on a virtual call than an in-person call and restating what you heard someone say to make sure you heard them properly.
0: Right. really
1: help that connection.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And, and what do you think about, you know, using other tools like chat and other, you know, whiteboards in the process?
1: I think anything you can do to keep it engaging and, and, and fully alive. One of the mm-hmm. things I do, um, when I give a keynote and then there's usually a five or 10 minute break virtually, and then we come back and everyone's in a workshop mindset mm-hmm. is there's a tool I have um, where people can type on their computer or their phone, their big takeaway from my keynote talk. Oh, I loved when you told the Michael Phelps story, or I love the people by emotionally, not logically. Right. And it scrolls full screen, not in the oh. chat, but oh, like, one of, and so they feel like their comments are part of the presentation now. And it's also anonymous, so more people are more willing to um, participate. And then you get to say, oh, five of you really like this takeaway. And and then the client who hired me is thrilled because their audience is so engaged and really have has learned something that they're going to implement, in this case, storytelling.
0: What is the name of the tool? I'm curious.
1: E-V-Poll.
0: E-V-Poll. Yeah, check it out. I put it also in the notes. It sounds like a fun tool to have. It reminds me of the Interactive uh, social media walls. If you remember, uh-huh. in the in-person conferences, you know, we yes. mount them and people can be tweeting right. and see their stuff up on the wall. So same. And the other
1: tool I was using is eCam, <clears throat> as you know, which is eCam. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. For the special effects. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another question that uh, is also interesting to me. You mentioned earlier uh, that you use a, uh, that you kind of reverse engineering. Uh, what uh, you're trying to accomplish in your presentation. And one of the elements you describe is emotions. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the role of emotions in a uh, virtual cell storytelling? I mean, yes. Do you, how do you actually do the, the tr- translation?
1: There are certain words that evoke emotions in us. So I could say, mm-hmm. are you stuck in a sea of sameness with your competitors? Or I could say, "Are you drowning in a sea of sameness?" Suddenly, yeah. drowning. <gasps> Gosh, yeah, uh, this is an urgent yeah. problem. And yeah. you, the word "sea," s-e-a, of sameness, is a mm. nice little visual. Yep. Yeah. Everyone else is this. I'm just. I'm lost, and I'm drowning right. versus just I'm stuck. Yeah. So it takes it up a notch. Um, when I worked with Olympus Medical on crafting one of their case stories as opposed to a case study, Uh which is what my big distinction is. Um, I I tell the story of, um, imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was using um, our equipment and he could go out to the patient's family in the waiting room an hour Mm -hmm. earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know every hour feels like, a minute; every minute feels like an hour. And he came out an hour earlier and put them out of their waiting misery and said, good news. The scope shows they don't have cancer. They're going to be fine. And then turns to the rep and says, you know, that's why I became a doctor for moments like this. Now that rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital who sees themselves in the story and says, that's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. Now that little case story has been worked on and crafted I pull you in by saying if you've ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. So now you're really in it. You're feeling it. But also the doctor is the hero in the story, not the Mm -hmm. up, not the equipment, and um, the client even said that gives us chills. We hadn't even thought of the patient's family being a character in the story. But the enhancement to that story, besides if you've ever waited for someone you love, is the doctor put the patient's family out of their waiting misery. What? Now we're really emotionally involved. <gasps> that is misery. And so the word misery, layered in with all the other things, is what makes that a compelling emotional story that you're visualizing yourself there.
0: Yeah, no, I think it, you know the word misery smithing and making sure that using words and actually completing the visual metaphor you are trying to paint. Yes. Is definitely uh, important. So in, in this case, would you say basically that uh, you identify the emotion, target emotion that your client is after? And did you do any research to find out the right story that the audience will be able to see themselves in the story? Or how did you arrive to that specific story?
1: Well. Um, I believe the premise I have for everybody is when you tug at heartstrings, people open their purse strings. Mm-hmm. So that's a sound bite that everybody likes to remember. Wow. And originally when I started working with them, I said, what are you saying now to get the doctors to buy this? And they go, oh, uh, our equipment makes the surgeries go 30% faster. Do you want one? Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, that's a left brain speeds and feeds yep, yep. thing that you're pushing there. So I had to ask them a series of questions to come up with that story it's like, uh, what does 30% faster even mean? Faster than what? Well, What's it like without yep. your equipment? And they're like, oh, how much faster? Well, the, your normal surgeries take four hours. With ours, it's, you know, you save an hour. I'm like, yep. okay. Phew. All right, so that's where I came up with an hour earlier than expected, right? I see. I see. So I had to pull it out of them. You know, who's used this? Do you have an example of a specific person? What's their name? What hospital are they in? You know, I paint the picture with the exposition. Okay, got it. And then I just thought, well, an hour earlier, is it making more money or who cares about it being an That's hour? a benefit.
0: Earlier? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The patient's unconscious. They don't know. Yeah. If you've ever been under anest- anesthesia, you don't know if you've been out for two hours or five, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Is, it, is it strictly just a financial benefit? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. I had to wait with my mom for my sister to come out of surgery for ovarian cancer that was torture and then yeah. i related to, and then i go i uh, there's a lot of other people in that waiting room that were miserable i'd love for <laughs> the doctor to come out an hour earlier and given us the results so yeah. that's i that's how i crafted that story
0: i see yeah so it, it's really the big lesson here is you gotta do your research and find you know what is the backstory behind the target emotion you're trying to you know yes. communicate because at the end of the day, your audience needs to see themselves in your story and that emotion that you planted there needs to mean something to them, you can hear hearing correctly.
1: Yeah. That's it. And that the client is the hero.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, Don't can forget. I make... <laughs>
1: yeah. What can we do to make this doctor look like the hero? Besides yeah. coming out an hour earlier? Oh, putting them out of their waiting misery.
0: Right. Right. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So this has been fun. You know, I, I want to finish up with uh, maybe your thoughts, uh, if you can summarize for our audience, uh, what would you say your top three tips for a successful virtual sales storytelling experience?
1: The tip number one is the sale is in the tail, T-A-L-E. <laughs> That's the name of my um, online experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whoever tells the best story gets the sale. And yeah. People buy emotionally, not logically. So make sure you're using virtual visuals that tug at people's Mm -hmm. heartstrings, so they open the purse strings.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool, and and, and any thoughts, just, you know, just, I thought about this as you are talking about, uh, any thoughts about what to do on the first few seconds of your pitch, you know, your first impression segment?
1: Don't waste those first few seconds with cliché statements like, thanks for this opportunity, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> First of all, nobody cares that you're excited. Yeah. It's not about you. Open yeah. with a story. Mm-hmm. Start right in. Imagine. Pull them right in. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Cool. Very good. You know, I really enjoyed you know, kind of uh, us walking you through uh, a, let you walk us through this uh, entire journey of how to come up uh, a hero in your virtual sales uh, sessions. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure uh, many of you got some great uh, value uh, tips today. And if anybody has uh, more questions for you, John, uh, how can they contact you?
1: Sure. Um, well, if you take out your phone and t- text the word PITCH, P I T C H, to mm-hmm. 66866, I'll send you my free ebook on top storytelling tips. And mm-hmm. my website's johnlivisay.com. And if you can't remember any of that, just Google the Pitch Whisperer and my content will show up.
0: Okay, awesome. Love it. This is great. Thank you so much, John. And for all of you listening or watching, You I look forward to seeing you all in our next episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.